This is Driven by Data, the podcast. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast, brought to you by Orbition Group and hosted by me, Kyle Winterbottom. Orbition Group is delighted to bring this podcast series, which boasts some of the most high-profile data, analytics, and AI thought leaders from across the globe. Each episode details the journey to the top of our industry's most respected leadership figures while bringing unique insights drawn from first-hand experience on the industry's most trending topics, told in order to share knowledge, experiences, and ideas to inspire, innovate, and give back to the global data and analytics community. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Roberto Maranca, who is the VP of Data Excellence from Snyder Electric. So, Roberto, thank you very much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Kyle, and uh, honoured to be here. Honoured. Well, that's, uh, that's that's very humble. It's always good. It's always good to be uh, in a place where you can talk data and people are listening. <laughs> Absolutely. And willing for, willing to listen. That's uh, yeah. that's always good. Yeah, well, that, that's what we're going for. So, um, look, excited to get into the to the kind of meat of, of the topic, but obviously where we always start, because I could never do it justice, is to ask you to give yourself a brief kind of introduction, your background, what you've been up to over the last however many years, and um, I guess, you know, where where you are right now. Yes, so um, it's interesting, and, and, and don't, don't be scared, I'm not going to... It's not going to be a long story, but my mom wanted me to be an archaeologist. And uh, but so, um, given the prospect of studying for five years uh, Aramaic and uh, Sanskrit and Latin and Greek at university, I decided probably it wasn't, although I liked it, but um, I prefer to do something different, more technologically driven. So, I went for uh, aeronautical engineering and I had a master's in that, but at the end of that, there was very little jobs going on. So I had to recycle myself as a, let's say, um, as a uh, as an IT professional, because um, I I was passionate about computers. I was doing computers since the 80s. And so, but quickly, uh, basically, I, I find myself, I find myself in uh, uh, a couple of um, interesting jobs, uh, starting with very good companies like Nissan and Ford. And uh, I was a, a kind of a, a 360 degrees IT guy for uh, 20 odd years. And uh, I did kind of everything. I started from LAN ones. Uh, I was putting in place the first emails. and uh, But then quickly and uh, constantly, I was having in my head something was a bit different, a bit missing. And um, I was fortunate to get to General Electric and spend a lot of time there. Because at a certain point, you know, when you're a big company, there is a point in which you can dare Right, you can say, okay, I you trust me with all this. Maybe I can do a bit of that, and that was the the first data roles that were starting to emerge in uh, in G um, in the, to, towards like the 2013, 2014, and um, so when I saw the first one, and I was having in front of me two, okay, there was more of a CIO role, and then there was this thing, and uh, this thing when I start to read to read things in that thing is but it was like feeling falling on the way to Damascus. So I kind of saw the light because they, there were so many boxes open in my head that that thing was ticking. Say, ah, that's governance of data. That's quality measurement. That's metadata. So, so instantly I said, I want to do this. And um, that was the opportunity I jumped on. Uh, unfortunately, GE decided to sell G Capital. 
So I had to find myself a new house where, uh, you know, exercise this profession, or I was, I was trying to make a profession of. And uh, Lloyd's came about. I had a, a very good ride in Lloyd's for a year. Uh, but then we parted away. I decided not to be in uh, financial services anymore for a bit, at least. I wanted to go back to, you know, a place where there's uh, manufacturing and there's making things, but also there's a good connection with data and um, there is a meaningful mission. And so Schneider came about. And uh, since July 2018, I've been there. Nice. Okay. I know we spoke offline. Obviously, you're from, from Italy originally, Rome. Yeah. Um, and I, I, come on, you can tell it from my <laughs> And then you, you landed in the UK in Manchester, which is obviously where I'm from. So, um, you know, for all the listeners, I'm sure you can imagine still the conversation. Big, big, I'm very fond of Manchester still, yeah. really. It's yeah. because it's the size of city that is more I'm used to. I'm yep. not used to huge cities, right? And for me, walking from side to side and I've seen in half an hour was um, something I felt, you know, I felt very confident. Climate was a different issue, right? Yep. A completely different issue. Coming from Italy, <laughs> landing in Manchester, my body had a bit of a disagreement with myself saying, ah, you, it's not a vacation. You really want to live here? Uh, so, so, but uh, yeah, the, the, the city was very nice. Good. Good. So really interested and obviously don't want to spend too much time talking about the past, but obviously find it fascinating how working, you know, for some huge, huge businesses, Nissan, Ford in technology roles, then GE kind of got the breakthrough into data. And I guess you were kind of one of the forward thinkers that saw this was going to be a very big part of the future. Um, And then leaving there and getting a kind of CDO role at at Lloyd's, right? Which um, I guess... Back then, even a, a few years ago, there, there weren't many of those roles around. How, how, how did that kind of happen? Was that just right place, right time? Or? You know, the when I started in GE, uh, the, the thing I learned immediately about this was you couldn't ask someone in the company saying, what should I do? There were very few people. That, they were, my boss said, don't know, you wanted to do this, go and find out. Um, and so you had to quickly look externally and uh, create bonds. And I think what uh, has happened since then, uh, and it's kind of a second nature for data people, I think, uh, is that you always look outside and you help the, uh, the, the next guy because you, you were one of those before. And so in doing this, you create a network and, um, you know, the uh, signal through the network travel faster than through recruitment agencies. Mm-hmm. And so there is a lot of uh, that, uh, hey, what do you think about that? Uh, do you know this is happening? What, uh, would you be interested? And so that's the kind of uh, the, the way has been working out in the last few, uh, you know, uh, set of employments. Yeah. And I think it's, it's giving you the opportunity. First of all, being externally focused is giving you the opportunity to further your understanding and uh, test your ideas, but also is giving you uh, the ability to, you know, have the sound bites uh, helping you to go into the right place at the right moment, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. Now that makes, uh, that makes perfect sense. So, other thing I wanted to touch on before we jump into the topic, obviously the data IQ, something that I'm very familiar with. A lot of the guests um, of the show are from the IQ. Yeah, you got you got the who's who of data IQ. Yeah, well, well, that's that's what I'm going for. Um, so obviously a massive coup to have you here, Roberto. So in the top ten, um, I guess yeah. this is the second different podcast series that I've hosted. So in in a former podcast, I've actually had Fiona Sweeney on there. So obviously I kind of feel like I know the ins and outs of how that works, but um, I always like to ask the question, why? Like, why do you think that you that you've been kind of labelled, you know, in the top ten of the the data titans of uh, of the the IQ one hundred? Well, there is there is definitely a. I have 
I mean, I don't know if it's the pride or the, the, the ego or to say that there are few things I've been thinking, pushing out there that are a different way of things in, thinking about data, right? Uh, and that's because I've seen in my um, short past in absolute, but long, in, if you look into relative to the, the, the data uh, industry, the, uh, what is the, um, how the traditional and very orthodox way of doing this is not delivering. So I had to really think about, and I probably we're going to talk about that later. What, what is this missing here? And so I, I guess what the, the guys in the DQ saw in me, and uh, of course I've been talking to them, participating to some of their events. They saw that there is a an angle that I'm bringing to the conversation that is worth uh, highlighting and and uh, emphasize. That's probably nice. my best way of putting it. Uh, aside from saying, well, I've been maybe I've been putting my. <laughs> I don't think you can you can nominate yourself 15 times, but uh, <laughs> but you know, one can always try. Yeah, yeah, no, that makes uh, that makes sense. So definitely one of the forward thinkers and, and innovators of our our industry. So um, it's a pleasure to have you here. So look. You've got a fantastic job title, first and foremost. You know the VP of Data Excellence. Um, there are many more coming out. There <laughs> yeah. are many more. I'm not, yeah. I'm not the last one. I'm the only yeah. one. I'm not going to be the last one. Really. No, no. <laughs> you you must have been the first though, or one of the first, surely. But um, but look, what always fascinates me is we live in a world today where every organisation now is really starting to understand that they need to be driving more value from data for the business, um, but I guess from the outside looking in and the conversations that I have, there seems to be very few that do it very, very well for whatever reason. Um, I'd love to know from from kind of your standpoint why why you think that is. I think that the the problem with this that not being completely in the uh, mainstream thinking, and although I have to say COVID is helping a lot <laughs> to to start to have your ears accustomed to the data language. It's a, I don't know if it's helped them. We'll see that how much is going to help, but in reality, there is definitely an emphasis. But the the majority of companies, they sometimes get into this, uh, into oh, one of those. You know, there is a new fancy thing that is data. That is important. How much is important? I don't know. Can I quantify that? Not yet. But I know that there are people on the market that are having data in their title. Why don't we get one of those? Right. That's not incredibly helpful for the people in the market because you land in a place where, I mean, everyone is having a completely different view of who you are and what you should do. And uh, so there is a, a problem of clarity of goals, clarity of questions, right? It's like everything else in life. I mean, if you want to measure success, do you know what success looks like? And, uh, the, and number one. Number two, and being this an incredibly... Uh, it's sometimes you go in there and what you're doing, you're not just doing data. You're basically, you're uprooting all the problems that have been there festering for years and are actually affecting data because data is kind of a, the witness and the record and the evidence of what's going on. So you are not only uh, having this um, role as, a, as an agent uh, of change for data, but you become a, a disrupting agent. And not many companies are ready to do that. So, and last, I think, so there is this resilience in saying, yeah, we want to change, right? It's not, this is not a fad. It's not some, and then the last thing is that, like in every transformation, big transformation, there has to be an element of faith, an, an element of, 
believing in something better. And that's from a top down, it's difficult to communicate sometimes. And it's, uh, the, the message is diluted. So you might have the complete, absolute commitment from the top, but um, I say that there is only one meter of water needed to stop the fastest bullet. And if you are a fan of Mythbusters, you know, it's episode 34. I mean, you can show it. And, <laughs> and the, so what happens is that velocity is not translated in mobilization at every single layer of the company. You end up basically being alone, a sort of a Don Quixote uh, uh, against many, many, many windmills. And, and your, uh, your life is pretty short span in that kind of environment. I think that's, so if you summarize it, there's the clarity of goals. Do you have your questions in your mind? There is a resilience on the missions because it's going to be a top-down change of the company. And do you have a bit of faith that at the end of this, you're going to get value? Because at the beginning, it's going to be very difficult for you to articulate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, th- th- I mean, everything you said there, kind of, I I've seen firsthand and, and absolutely agree with. You know, I think um, I think we're getting better as an industry, but I still think there's a lot of organisations that are kind of going on this data analytics journey because they feel an obligation to. You know, they see everyone else around them talking about this and doing this stuff, and, and almost peer, they peer pressure definitely. Yeah. There's peer pressure. Say, oh, they're having one. I want one of them as well. I can't be seen to do not to do this, right? Yeah. Uh, I, like it's like in Karate Kid, right? You want to learn karate? Well, fine. You don't want to learn karate? Fine as well. You want to learn karate so-so? You get squashed because if you're not committed to this, which is transformational, you probably are better off not even starting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the whole point you made around COVID, I think, is very relevant because obviously, you know, before we kind of really got on this hype around data, you know, a lot of execs kind of made decisions based on gut feel and instinct. Um, and obviously now we find ourselves in a time where, you know, most people haven't experienced anything similar to this before at this kind of scale. Um, so gut instinct and, uh, you know, feel kind of goes out of the window, right? So now there's this, okay, well, we need to make a decision based on something. That something probably needs to be data. So we're kind of, you know, we're being driven a bit closer to, to, to the to the goal of the data industry, which is great. Um but, you know, one of those things, I guess. So really keen to kind of get into and pick your brains around the whole right. excellence piece, because obviously, yeah. you know, you mentioned something there around, you know, you're, you're effectively in there as a change agent. Obviously, you know, typically at some point in time on your own, you're seen as a bit of a disruptor. Um, and, you know, this whole concept of, of buy-in is something that we're constantly talking about, right, as an industry of getting buy-in. And it, it's not just a bottom-up approach or a top-down approach it needs to be the approach from both ways because as you say ultimately if you've not got both sides of that coin you're going to struggle to, to kind of get that the, the, yeah, i would the, say something might be sounds about it has to be a viral thing yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. data has to go viral unfortunately to really change the dna of a company yeah yeah that makes sense so data excellence kind of give us your take on on what data excellence is Look, stemming exactly from the previous, and uh, data excellence, the way uh, as an approach starts is thinking of what was missing. So if if you say that a data strategy is a change that is enabling new business paradigms to to like a a digital transformation to thrive or uh, basically enabling the strategy of where you want to go with the business, then what you need to understand there is what is this missing? What has it been missing? And 
what has been missing for me uh, from a, from an excellence point of view can be articulated in three things. And I'll use a, a, a metaphor, right? I see the guy in the in the business, uh, you know, environment, like a someone who goes to, so you have a, an idea, I want to do this, right? And this idea, let's say that is something regarding your ability of performing as a body, as an athlete. So you say, oh, I really like to run the London Marathon next year, right? That's your goal. And as a goal, you come to the Data Excellence Gym and you find me as your data personal trainer. That's okay. <laughs> To achieve your goal, you need to have three things. You need to have a mindset, right? Because you, you want to do this, so you need to be ready to do this, right? You need to have a method because there's going to be a difference between where you are today in terms of performance. You're going to die if you start the marathon, if you try the marathon, <laughs> right? And by the way, the guy that they kind of invented the marathon, he died really for real. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the 26 miles point two that um, uh, Philippe this run from the marathon plains where the battle happened to Athens were actually fatal to the guy. But let's leave it on our wow. side. Okay. Um, so you need a method because you need to be ready. So the method will include, you know, not only physical methodology, but you're going to have resting uh, regime. You have a diet. So there is a global, you know, a construct of a methodology will help you to achieve that. And finally, you want to measure. So you want to measure that you are getting there. So we need to provide you with the ability to say that you are improving, that you are getting to your goal. That's exactly what data excellence is trying to fill in terms of gaps. Because from a from a uh, methodology, uh, from a mindset point of view, that's where data excellence says, culturally, we sometimes are not ready for this. So the first filler of excellence is really about, do you want to do this? I'm testing that you want to do this. I want to see the culture behind you wanting to do this. I want to put in place the right engagement, the right communication, the right terminology, the, right termino the language. So what I, what I usually say is that because uh, the companies today are having tribes, cross-tribes existing and coexisting, data becomes tribal. When data is tribal, is inconsistent, is unmeasurable, is unmanageable. So that's the, the cultural part. So is the mindset there? The second bit, again, the methodology is more around how do I change the way today we change? Because change in a company is a fundamental, important point to intercept for you to do the right thing for data. Because in today's change methodology, data is an afterthought. That the the usual thing to happen is that someone runs, starts a project, commits the budget, commits the boss, all the way. I, I'm doing requirement, I'm doing build, I'm doing requirement, I forget about data. I'm doing design, I forget about data. I'm doing build, I forget about data. I get to test. I'm reminded about data. Oops, business cannot actually go live with this because data is not good. So what you do? Uh, I burnt 75% of my cash. I burnt 85% of my time, so I can't get back to my boss for asking for more time. So what do I do? I descope data and I force people to go live anyway because in the operations we'll fix this. Now, the BAU, the things in BAU, basis as usual, as are the ones you never do because yeah. you don't you don't have the time to do that. You don't have in operations, you don't have the time to add that effort that usually you have the luxury during a project to make the right thing for data. So Data excellence from a methodology point of view says, no, 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 no. Every time you touch data, every time you try to do something for data, you should try to erode, to remove 
a portion of what I call the data debt, which is, remember we're saying all the bad, all the things have been festering over the years. Yeah, you can look at that as a pot of data debt, you have there, a pot of a not very orderly, a very well organized data that every time you have you go through a change, you try to slice, repay a little bit of that. So next time you're doing something in the same place, you're gonna be faster, you're gonna be better, you're gonna be cheaper. So. And finally, if you do, if your culture, your method, your mindset is there, your method is followed day in, day out. You're not just going in the gym the first three days and you keep on paying the uh, the membership and don't show up. No, no, no. <laughs> You're going in the gym every single freaking morning, right? And you, and it's not going to be the data personal trainer doing muscles. I'm not going to fix your data quality issues, right? The muscles are yours. One day you need to be able to run these flipping marathons. And so you now start to measure. You are able to start to measure and you're able to say, okay, I'm here now. I can see it. I can measure it. And I can start to measure what's the distance between me and my, my goals. And that's where the ability to evaluate what the data does for you from a business point of view is basically a methodology. And again, it's a measurement that says what is good enough for you. Because if you ask people today how you want your data, it's binary, perfect, or I can't use it. Instead, if you follow these three patterns I'm showing you, you get to point and say, I know exactly what I want, and I know what is going to be the effect of certain type of data, a certain level of quality and standard in what I want to try to achieve. Therefore, I can infer what is good enough for me. And good enough for me is cheaper than perfect quality of data. Hmm. Making sense? That's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So at the end of this process, is a, a permanent augmentation the idea is that you get to a data strategy that's kind of a unified across the company, is cost-effective and is sustainable, because the sustainability factor it's so important in what we do. Because otherwise, you're going to be always there is always another change in the business. There is always some a new manager is thinking of redoing stuff because they want to make their mark. There is always a new M&A, uh, you know, exercise happening. So you need to tame the change, and you need to basically reduce the effect on data otherwise you're dead yeah that makes sense is that the the kind of the process that you follow in that order does it always need to be mindset uh, methodology measure is, no basically that... they're starting uh, yeah. in parallel right so you yeah. because right. that's what you do with the first time in the gym right you of course you're not going to go on the on the uh, you know the, the 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 squat machine and kill yourself the first day <laughs> and you're not again you're not going to expect to uh, lose one kilo of fat and gain one kilo of muscle in the same day. But you start to measure. You start to measure immediately. You start to apply methodology and you start to tell yourself, this is the right thing to do. And actually, I want to tell my family that they need to keep me honest on this. So I, when, when they don't see me going to the gym, they will tell me, why don't you go to the gym this morning? So that's <laughs> that's a kind of a... And I, I know maybe we're, we're losing ourselves in the metaphor, but you see what I mean. I mean, that's the reality is you have to, you want to pursue a goal. You need to have the stamina and the resilience to end the tools to to pursue it. Yeah. And that's what excellence is trying to give you. Absolutely. I mean, to be honest, Roberto, I'm a huge fan of metaphors and analogies because um, I think it's, you know, I think sometimes... So you're people... in for a feast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think, you know, as in this industry, we often kind of, you know, get blinded by the lights and there's so much being talked about that sometimes, you know, yeah. it's, um, it's very easy to get lost in that. And obviously those, those little metaphors that you use make it very simple to understand, which leads me into my next question, really, which yeah. is 
obviously the way you break that down make it sound very simple um and and therefore you know the questions that immediately raise raise through my mind is well if it's that simple why aren't more people doing it so i guess what are the key challenges which part of that puzzle often the most organizations struggle the most with to kind of getting to that point of right we've arrived at data excellence well, the, the first challenge is, and it's the epitomized by the what I was saying about the first pillar, has to be the culture. It has to be the culture, not just in the meaning of, oh, we've been doing this always this way. So we've always been thinking that uh, IT is data. So why why should we talk about definitional integrity? What's the point? right? Uh, but it's also the a attitude of the company to learn new things. Because if you're not used to disrupt a little bit yourself so unlearn things and tell yourself clearly explicitly that what we did yesterday wasn't right and there is no point in continuing to do it tomorrow and the day after tomorrow we need to change right if that kind of a attitude is not there that's definitely there is nothing that you can do to start to change the paradigm because what you're trying to do is really saying calling a spade a spade sorry but you can't call you know, define the list of countries in 12 different ways in, across the organization because guess what is going to be the first, you know, column or the first reference of a, a report, maybe the list of country. And you can't leave that data multiverse because in a, in a digital company, an enterprise company, a multinational company, a data multiverse means that there is no truth or not even localized truth. So there is no truth, it's not comparable, and there are only questions that are never answers, right? So that's, that's the first thing. And so that, and this, the, the other challenge is definitely this relationship between who's got the data and who wants the data. Because if you took a, a simple uh, you know, connection between the consumer of the data and the producer or the owner of the, whatever you want to call it, the custodian of the data, in most of companies, you have a many-to-many -many relationship because both of those type of people are very biased towards what they have or what they want, right? So a consumer of data will always say, I want it this way because I have to do the things I want with this data. And the, while well, the provider or the custodian data say, well, I've got this, I can only give you this because I'm not being given any more people, any more money to change it. So what happens in this many to many relationship in which, by the way, these two people most of the time are friends, right? They're not, I'm not going to the, that provider of data because I believe they get the best data. I go to the provider there because I believe they can give it to me faster and they're going to be less fussy about what I'm asking. Maybe they're going to prioritize my, it's all friends and family kind of things. <laughs> so what the result, the net results of this relationship that is a bit, uh, you know, wonky in terms of, uh, you know, the, the segregation duties is that the consumer of data will have something that is not exactly what they want. Therefore, they would say, okay, I give up. You're not going to change it for me. You know what I would do? I'll hire a couple of Excel ninja, and they're going to sit down and make this data better for me. What definitely, in doing this, what happens is that propagation of the multiverse, because everyone will have a localized, micro-managed and micro, you know, uh, it's, a, it's a cell of different type of data that is not going to be of any help. So that's where, that's basically how data, be, data becomes very tribal because I give my nuance and my dialect to my customer on every single piece of information I'm using, but I'm going to be an incredibly good virtuoso in my group. But if you put these different groups together, they're never going to make an orchestra. It's just going to be cacophony because things are not 
thought, uh, appreciated, evaluated, interpreted in the same way. So that's where, that's a big, big challenge out there. And the final one is the amount of stuff that is not, that is actually already there as a legacy of your data exercises in the last year. So this mountain of data that I'm discussing and I was defining before is daunting because if you look at that as a huge elephant that is in your, your company, nobody has got the stomach to even start to eat it, right? Mm. And that's where in the, in the, in the pillar two of uh, you know, changing the way we change, you're trying to slice this elephant one at a time where it counts. So these are the challenges I see. Mm. It's really interesting because I think the amount of leadership figures I speak to within the realm of data and analytics and often, you know, over the course of the last few years, that conversation has certainly come up more than on one, more than one occasion where you kind of referenced, you know, who owns the data, who has access to the data. Uh, don't get me started with ownership, <laughs> right? Because but I mean, just as a side note, how, I mean, because from the outside looking in, logically, you know, if, if there's someone like yourself in an organization, Roberto, surely it makes sense to go, right, Roberto is responsible for all things data and he distributes it where he sees fit. And obviously there's a whole host of politics that comes with that, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. But, and, you know, I, I guess we, we're always struggling to kind of get away from data is IT, right? And, you know, we hear that conversation over and over and over again, and that's always been the way. So now we're trying to change and we're having struggles. But but how do you how do you combat that? Because I guess with the best will in the world to, you know, have the right mindset and then change the methodology, um, you know, and kind of get data fit, as you kind of put it with, with the metaphor. But if you're constantly having battles with who's got the data and if you can get it and how quickly you can get it, which impacts what you're doing and, and so on and so forth, there's, that must cause just mayhem inside an organization. Yeah, but the, what you probably need to aim for is kind of a bit of an organized mayhem, right? And uh, the way I, I, I've been trying to organize it in the last few years is that you need to, especially on the ownership, the ownership is a key battleground, Right. Because, I mean, if you translate ownership to the pool saw this in front of a PC, ownership means more work to do. That's <laughs> yeah, what it okay. means, right? And you don't have people going around the company and raising their hands to say, pick me, pick me, I want to be an owner. Right? There, is, there is none of that. So, But you need to convince, you need to first start to unpack what ownership means because there are different levels of ownership. There are different types of ownership. I mean, as a consumer, you own the requirements. Right, you own the way you want it, and quality, for example, can only be measured through the eyes of the consumer, because it's pointless for you on a system application owner. You're looking at your system, and say, I think quality is good here, because until you give it to the consumer, you will never say quality is actually very subjective, but not subjective because I fancy a different color, but subjective because my use case is as is requiring a different standard or a different tolerance. So, and that's you, you see in. A, Typical example is customer address. If I'm trying to build an algorithm to understand whether my marketing campaign is good, but how my marketing campaign is effective by postcode, I have a different tolerance to, to the, the guy that is trying to do logistics. So for him, customer address has to be perfect. Otherwise, I'm shipping to the wrong place. For me, getting an idea of my marketing campaign can be 90% complete, not a problem, right? So same data, different tolerances. So, so the ownership of the requirements with consumer, 
then you have the ownership of the integrity and the ownership of the data in situ that is looked after, is not altered, is not in unduly accessed or lost, is with the person who's got the ownership of the box where the data sits, right? So, and then there's a third ownership that is none of the two are having and none of the two should have, which is the ownership of the meanings. So that's for me the true new role you need to introduce. It's a third party that is breaking, that's friends and families kind of a multiverse and it creates more like what good looks like for the company. Now, these roles are the true data owners in my language. I'll call them data domain owners because I have a domain that belongs to me because of my uh, authority, my experience, my position, my club, whatever. And so these domains that basically you think about as your, uh, your subset of your global ontology of the company. So there is a customer domain, there's a product domain, there's an asset domain, there's a finance domain, whatever. And you can, you can work out what's the best, but at the end of the day, it has to be one person that is accountable to say, and for the company, has got the responsibility to say how many customer types we're having, how many product categories we're having, uh, what is the best way to measure customer address compl uh, completeness or uh, um, you know validity. So those are the people that you need to inject in this. And it's very difficult to find, but it's so important for when you start to break the mold of the way the things have been done in the past. And that will immediately take you away from data is IT. Because when you start to talk about meanings, you're trying to have meanings agreed between human beings. So you can't have meanings agreed between between two Oracle instances. That's the point, right? You need two human beings in so far, maybe in the future, not too many, <laughs> but so far you need two human beings to agree. And yeah. um, you might it might take for you to migrate an Oracle uh, infrastructure from one place to another six months, but might take you six months to agree what's the list of products we're having, what's the list of business units, what, what is the denomination of business units we're having. But that work is important, as important as the rest, because yeah. it's your defining the space in which you move as a as a digital company. Yeah, it's it's really interesting the piece there that you mentioned around the kind of definitions of data quality because I've had um, a gentleman by the name of, of Alex Golbin on the podcast before who's the chief data officer for Morningstar uh, based in, right. in the US and um, he he kind of mentioned the exact same thing you know within his organization they've set up various dimensions of definitions as far as data goes because you know what quality means to one person or team is subjective to what it means by the next team which is really interesting and you know for me i'm kind of just thinking well you know how do you ever get to the point where where, where this is right you know because quality is not necessarily accuracy doesn't always reflect what you need no right it gets yeah. philosophical very quickly yeah uh, because um i mean not being philosophical our job unfortunately uh, will end up creating data on data yeah. think about it yeah my job is creating data on data because i'm measuring and i'm offering this measure to prove to someone that what they're having is good enough so I myself, I have a problem of understanding what is true and how that measure, that true measure can be expressed in a way that can be digestible by someone that is not a data guy. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not just talking about their dashboard here that they use for the operational reasons. I'm talking about what goes now, what the data officers are doing and creating a secondary dashboard say, oh, all these 10 terms you're having there, you have to understand there are seven dimensions of quality for each one of them. And I can give you red, green, or amber for each one of those. And you can quickly create 
analysis paralysis. So people say, okay, am I, am I can I make a decision now or yes or no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay, no, minefield. So I guess obviously we're in this world now where every business is trying to utilize data more effectively to make better business decisions. So whether that's, you know, driving sales and profits, you know, reducing <clears throat> costs, operational efficiencies, mitigating risks, whatever the case may be. Really interested in the piece because I guess, you know, they're obviously the benefits of getting data excellence, right? Once you get to that point, you can make better decisions, which, you know, ultimately impacts the business in greater ways, whatever you're trying to achieve. But how does that work as the process goes on, as you're kind of going through that methodology, you know, as per, per measurement, I, I yeah. guess, you know, how, how do you kind of highlight, okay, we're moving in the right direction and we can see that in the decisions we're making? The first thing you should try to, you should notice and it should be incredibly blindingly obvious, but it's not most of the time, is that things are becoming reusable. So a piece of work you've done in the past should have no reason to repeat that. So if I built a analytical being that is called the, uh, you know, all the invoices of the company, right? That for me becomes, if you're done properly with, you know, uh, we are culturally aligned and these are the invoices and uh, all the meanings are aligned and uh, we built in the right way. We are actually continuously monitoring that is the right level of quality. And every time there is a new requirement, we add that on top and we'll blah, 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 all that. So it's sustainable. If there is another piece of work that is to happen somewhere that will need that invoices, let's call it table for a second, right? There should be no reason why that project should re-ingest, re-align, re you know, all this work should have already been done in the past. And if you keep, that's the, the real way I visualize in my head, data as an asset. Data as a Lego brick that is there for you to use and reuse. And every time you reuse it, you don't degrade it. Actually, you, you augment it a little bit. And, but your access to data and your cost to access to data is faster and cheaper over time. Because... Every single touch point, every single day in the gym, you built a bit of muscle, so become more agile, right? So everything, every time, every effort you made, every measure you're making is actually helping the overall intelligence of the organization around data. So one day you need to get to a point in which you can see yourself as an organization through your data. Today, this doesn't happen. And what does it mean? Like a, an athlete, I don't know where my legs are, I don't know where my arms are. I don't know where my center of gravity is. And so I can fall every day. Instead, once you have this, you know, moment of self-awareness in a way, and uh, you can actually start to say, I know what's happening now. I know I see a regulation coming in. I know exactly where it's going to affect me. I know exactly what I need to do. I can measure the difference in terms of gaps between me and the satisfaction of the regulation because I know where things are. Hmm. Think about GDPR. Right, GDPR is just telling you. A part is telling you you don't remember all those good things you were supposed to do in the last ten years about customer data or personal data. Yeah, you should have really. <laughs> <laughs> so, so now the day of reckoning has come, and so GDPR is not telling you to re, to respect the regulation. GDPR is telling you simply, you better know where your data is, because if you know it, you can answer any question. At any point in time, at any moment in space, who's using it, for what reason, where it's gone, whether it's still there or should have been deleted. If you do that, if you know that, GDPR is a doddle. So the for me, again, excellence is not 
and it's not just justified for excellence sake. Excellence is enabling what you want to do. Yeah, absolutely. So it's effective for getting to the point where you can answer questions and make decisions quicker and at less cost effectively in terms yeah. of what the business is open to achieve. Yeah. The way you want to answer the question, you want to use AI, ML, uh, you want to use whatever, doesn't matter. As long as you know the question, as long as you know the definition of what is in, in, is in implied in responding to the question, providing questions, and you know where it is. So, I mean, my, my EMC square of a data job is I do, I verify at any point in time and space for the business, the question, the statement, this is it. Because usually this is what I'm asked for, to search for and it is where I find it and I can offer it to someone with the certification that it is actually, you know, satisfying the question. Is this what it is uh, what, that I need? Yes, it is. Are you sure? Yes, I can show you. I can show you the level of... So that's the true ontological question that we have in, uh, in our company. Yeah, interesting. Do you ever get to a point where you've achieved excellent status or is this something that always kind of... Permanent you know, documentation. Yeah. Is a permanent, because simply because, think about it. I'll ask you the same thing. Do you ever get to a point where your business stops changing? No. Yeah. No. Why? Because the environment changes. The people are changing. The time The time flows, right? So so the, you need to follow that. You Unfortunately, that's where... The, the resilience is so important because this is not the fad. Again, you can't go into the gym seven days, kill yourself on the squat machine and think you're done, right? <laughs> Unfortunately, you are, you've made a decision to change and now you need to persist on the path. Mm-hmm. It's going to be easier. It's going to be feel a bit more... Uh, actually, there's going to be an endorphin kind of push at a certain point. So I'm good enough now that I can... But you're not going to stop exercising. And that's the same with, with data. It's Unfortunately, it's mm-hmm. permanent augmentation. Yeah. I love the metaphor, Roberto, because I think it, it makes it really relatable. Because, you know, if you say, if you went and worked out for 12 weeks and you dieted well and you did all of that stuff, you'd see improvements and progress. And you may very well get to the point where you're happy with what you've got. And that's no difference to business. But ultimately, there's still going to be things that you've got to kind of keep pushing past, right? To kind of get better. Otherwise, um, you, yeah, otherwise you're actually tailed on. Yeah. And, your, and your performance best will go down. I, I see, I, I love swimming. And uh, when I can see a correlation between my timing and, and swim and uh, the lockdowns, because if I can't go to the gym and I can't swim for uh, four weeks, the next time I go swimming, I suck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, can I need to start again? Yeah. So uh, that's the bit you, you unfortunately, is relentless. You can't take the eyes of the ball. But business leaders know this because they, they, they know exactly that if, you know, if you stop changing, evolving and, uh, uh, you know, following what the customer wants and anticipating what the customer wants, you die. Yeah. Yeah. How much of, of this and getting to the point of, you know, where you you're in a much better place as far as data excellence goes is people led. Because obviously, you know, if you think about data transformation, the whole cultural piece and getting buy-in, you know, we're often talking about people are key and the literacy of the people within the business is key to kind of get us there. Um, is, is that a similar thing in terms of getting to that point as far as excellence goes or, or is yes, there more to it? Definitely. I mean, again, not by chance, the first pillar about culture. Culture is something that people are, are doing, but we need to reflect also on other two things. Um, well, there is what I call a sort of a, uh, digital neo-humanism, right? Because 
the there is definitely all this almighty technology is surrounding us and now for everything there is an app for it right so it basically is pushing the the, the net effect that you're pushing on foreground people again because i um when i started can you imagine uh, in 1995 for a company achieving the same you know calculation power that today a simple limited company can achieve in a day just connecting or subscribing to Microsoft Teams, Microsoft or Google, whatever, without wanting to. So can you imagine that today, if I have a limited company, I can have Google as my, my IT team? So yeah. <laughs> in my when I started, I mean, I could barely buy a server and maybe two servers <laughs> and maybe then having a data center and I would have had a massive impact on the cost of the company. So what I'm saying is that Technology is my, nowadays is kind of a given, right? So what makes a difference between the companies and their success is how they connect their data to their people and how their people are, you, are able to use this data for the best, right? Also because, let's not forget from a neo-humanistic point of view, is that the act of buying something is still an emotional thing. Until, until the moment in which Alexa will decide <laughs> that... Alexa wants to play that song because Alexa likes it, not because Alexa knows my taste. Until the moment Alexa is making an emotional choice, I don't know how far we are from that, or my fridge will decide that it prefers this electricity or this other electricity because it tastes better. But until the moment happens, we are still at the end of the B2B. There is always a C. There's always a human being that will make an emotional choice. So there's definitely an emotional linkage that goes all through our chain of supply, da- supply data chains that has to be taken into account. So humans will always be central to our digital transformation. Again, till the moment of Alexa, self-awareness, and then probably we're doomed, but I don't know. So, <laughs> so that, that's, that's why people are so important. Yeah. You kind of started to touch on it there, but looking to try and kind of bring this together and wrap this up now, Roberto, but... The, the whole technology piece, obviously, it kind of goes hand in hand and, and yeah. obviously just as data is an asset, <clears throat> technology is an asset and it enables the business to do the things it wants to do. But we're, we're constantly, you know, tripping over each other, right, as far as data and technology goes and the importance and kind of where we're going and this whole, you know, trend that I see time and time again, especially companies that are on the start of that data journey and they see or they perceive that the value is at the, you know, the, the sexy stuff, you know, the artificial intelligence, the machine learning, and they just go from straight from having nothing to, right, we're going to do an AI project. What what kind of advice do you have around that in terms of, you know, where all this fits in and, and where the technology is going to kind of propel us to as a data industry? Well, there are, of course... <clears throat> data lives in the technology so that's um that's a technology has to be given as in but it's also very important and can give you an edge can actually accelerate certain certain parts of what i need to do from an excellence point of view for example ownership right because uh, if i have the the right uh, you know type of uh, accelerator that allows me to capture the ownership structure the ownership and present it as a the a corporate repository of a sort of a corporate memory of what it is. That's definitely a technological essence of a tool we need. But the, the first, for me, the first and foremost and most important advice is always don't focus on the tool. I mean, 
tools are tools, right? And sometimes, most of the times, tools are assuming a certain level of maturity. So you need to really understand when you buy something, what is the implied expectation of the tool on your side to be successful? And if you ask the best salesmen of your uh, technology, they're still going to struggle to tell you, uh, I know you and you can't really afford this thing because this thing is going to kill you. They're not going to tell you, right? Yeah. Most of the time. The good ones, they will. They will tell you, maybe you need to act in this area first, this area first, and maybe there is a sequence in which you're going to start to use this functionality, this other functionality, and so on. So there is a journey for you also to adapt the tool. Again, back to the gym. You're not going to go for the machine that is um, maybe trimming one of your uh, abdominals, right? The first, maybe you can start with the machine that more a crude machine, which you try to you know, have all, uh, all the entire abs instead mm-hmm. of sculpting that thing. So yep. you need to be careful what you're using. The second big risk I see is that if data is not IT, AI is not data. We are now going into that. We're trying to say AI machine learning is data. It's not. I mean, there are AI, again, is a way of resolving some problem, but AI is not going to be magic and sort out all your issues. I wish there was a, a tool to do that. I mean, maybe they're inventing one, maybe. And if you are, write me. <laughs> we'll definitely look at it. Yeah. But the magic thing has not happened yet simply because, back to the dependency on people, nothing can be as magic as our brain. And the most difficult thing that people are doing when they're starting, don't forget, the most expensive exercise when you do something like this is digitizing human intelligence. That's the, where, that's where you know where it's nested. It's a very, very little devil nested in. When people are providing you with those nice diagrams, the arrows, sometimes those arrows, are very heavy in terms of digital intelligence. So they're very heavy in effort that people don't want to do. Because try to get to a boss of some uh, a team leader or something say, hey, you really want to do this data transformation? You see those two people you're having there working for you? Forget about them for the next six months because they need to do my digital thing. See what they say. <laughs> and probably will say, can't do that. Well, if you can't do that, then you can't just become an AI shop tomorrow morning because the AI thing you're going to build as most of the data scientists are on the call and listening to this will know, is really depending on the training sets they're going to have. So if the training sets are not good, guess what the AI is going to do? It's going to learn rubbish. It's going to repeat rubbish. Mm-hmm. So the quality of the learning, the learning sets are proportional to how much intelligence of the company you've been crystallizing in your data. So how good is your data representing what you do, yep. which is the essence of what excellence is trying to build bit by bit. Yeah. Last question, Roberto. Do you think that this whole, because there's certainly been a resurgence around the whole data management and data quality and data governance and data privacy topics over the last six to 12 months without a, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, do you, do you think that that's come from a lot of failure in things like AI, you know, the whole rubbish in, rubbish out, we've, we've tried it. It's not, it's not got the results that we've wanted and therefore, okay, let's go back and retrospectively look at our quality and our governance and okay right that that was why and, and now right we're going to try and fix this i think there's definitely uh we are on the second wave of failed digital transformations uh so that's where uh, people are finally realizing and, you know, most of um, the people i know have realized since a while that uh data is the blunt of a digital transformation so or is the fuel whatever you want to call it so you can't transform digitally 
uh, attaining this fantastic new way of doing business without taking care of your data. So all of a sudden, now we're starting digital offices saying, mm, maybe we need to do something about the data because we tried, we have, we have, we're building in a very extremely sanitized environment to this digital thing, but then we let it in the wild and the poor sod was actually killed by the bad data because it can't survive, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and that's where you, the uh, essence is, how do I oper operationalize my experiments and the operationalization required that the environment in which you are operationalizing sta a standard is more up to a certain level of quality, otherwise you are losing value. So mm. that's where I think the people are finally putting two and two together and, and having a four instead of a five and a half. Yeah, yeah, perfect. Um, Roberto, if people listen to this um, and want to kind of pick your brains, have got any questions for you, are you open for people to reach out? And if so, what's the what's the best way? Sure, as I said at the beginning, it's uh, the role of all good data guys to share and to be to help the other guy, and help, especially because helping for me is not only by um, monodirectional. When you help, you learn. That's the way you learn because you explain things in a way that maybe you never explained before, so you get a new idea. But also because in the interaction you get uh, you enrich yourself. So definitely, yes, I'm happy. Of course, I need to explain my my boss that it's going to be half an hour a week, an hour a week, it's not going to be my new job. Otherwise, there is another name for that. That's consultants. <laughs> but, but yes, then definitely uh, LinkedIn is the um, probably the easiest way to get in touch these days. Uh, yes. But please don't, don't, don't do the pick your brain while um, you're telling me uh, that you're having an incredibly good tool that you probably want to push in the market because <laughs> yeah. I can read through that. I know that's more of a sales kind of a, uh, an inquiry rather than a, a, a genuine, please help. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Happy to do it. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, Roberto, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been absolutely uh, fascinating and insightful. I'm sure a lot of people will get uh, an awful lot from this conversation. So we really appreciate your time. And um, yeah, let's uh, let's try and do this again at some point next year. Yeah. Definitely. Up Perfect. for it. Thank you, Kyle. Excellent. All right. Bye-bye, Roberto. Thanks. That's it for this episode of Driven by Data, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow Orbition Group on social media if you've not already done so, where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like, and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests, then please feel free to reach out to me. Thanks for listening and I'll be back next week.